Amen. If you've got your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to the book of Proverbs. Good morning, church. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, just slip up your hand and one of our church members will be glad to bring you an extra copy. We'll uh, begin in Proverbs chapter 10, but be ready to flip this morning. Thank you, Terry, for helping us in worship today. Um, Drew is out of town. Make sure that you encourage Terry for stepping in and filling uh, that important spot. Did a fantastic job this morning leading us to the throne in worship. Proverbs chapter 10 is where we will begin our time this morning. We've been journeying through the book of Proverbs since the beginning of January. And we come into a new sort of season of study in the book of Proverbs. We've talked a little bit before about the structure of Proverbs. Proverbs is designated into what most scholars or many scholars believe to be seven sort of collections of wisdom writing, and each of those collections carry with it uh, a little bit of a unique style, a certain way of communicating God's truth. Proverbs 10 verse 1 marks the beginning of a new section. So from the beginning, we've all been in, we've been the entire time in collection one. Chapters one through nine have had this style of these sort of long poetic lectures from different voices that communicate the wisdom of God to us. So we've heard the voice of a loving father instructing his son. We've heard the voice of Lady Wisdom crying out in the street as opposed to Lady Folly who's leading you into destruction. Chapter 10 verse 1 marks the beginning of a new collection with a new style. And the way we know that is through this sort of literary marker here, the Proverbs of Solomon. It's kind of a a new little title to what's to follow. Now, what's to follow is what you traditionally think of when you think of a proverb. These short, sort of short, pithy, poetic statements and a bunch of them strung together, and they they aren't necessarily connected to one another. So this section contains with it like over 350 individual wise sayings that may or may not have anything to do with the wise saying right before it, or the wise saying right after it. So we're going to have 350 sermons over the... I'm just kidding, we're not doing... (laughs) 350 sermons uh, from uh, this particular section. So then how do you approach it? How do you approach teaching this part of the Bible without being like an old Puritan who spends 38 years in the same book of the Bible? Well, the approach that I want to take for this section is to look for particular themes that run through chapter 10 all the way through chapter 22. And what I want to do is take note of how often they're repeated and then sort of collect all of them, right? And then, and then try to give to you a summation of everything that the Proverbs are teaching on this one particular theme. Now, just approaching or, or easing into this section of Proverbs, it reminds us of the very reason why we're studying Proverbs in the first place. I mean, this whole section very much shows us that there is no area of life that is outside of God's jurisdiction. That there is no area of life that is morally neutral. We cannot put the God of the universe into a box, into a lane, 
into a job description where he's over there in this area of life and then I'm ruling this part of life. No, this section of Proverbs with all of its randomness does communicate this one central point. God is sovereign and he rules over every single detail of your life. He aims to be glorified in everything from the way you pursue friendships to the way you work your job to the way you parent to the way you manage your temper your money your ambitions to the way you speak on a daily basis god is king over all our lives and really what what this section of proverbs is and what all of proverbs is is not only to convince you that he is sovereign over all these things but it's to try to lead you how to live for the kingdom of god now the depiction of humanity that we see in this section, the depiction of human relationships that we see in this section is an idealized, beautiful potential of what it would be like to live as God's child in God's kingdom. Like, as I was studying this week and thinking about all the themes, I was thinking about what this is is a depiction of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like one day. Like, what's it going to be like when friendships are are totally pure, that, that you can totally trust other people? What's it going to be like when, when you're in a world where there is no conflict or fighting amongst relationships? This is a picture of, of a future kingdom that we're going to have, but what it's encouraging us to do is to bring that future kingdom into our present realities as best we can, to live as if we're there now, as best we can. So we're not going to cover every theme, uh, we're not going to cover every verse, but we'll simply model an approach by taking one theme at a time. And the first theme that we're going to take is actually the second most mentioned theme in the book of Proverbs outside of just wisdom itself, right? So this is the most talked about thing in the category of wisdom, and that is our speech. How we use our words on a daily basis. And so what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to read one verse to start us out with that kind of gets us going in the right direction and sort of summarizes what we see as a whole. So f flip with me to chapter 18, verse 21. Chapter 18, verse 21. I'll read and then I'll pray for God to speak. <clears throat> Chapter 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Let's, let's pray together. God, show your power through words in this moment. We pray to you who spoke all of creation into being, and we ask that you would empower the words spoken even now to bring life and not death. We pray that you would speak life through the words of life by your grace alone and for your glory alone in Jesus' name, amen. Two foundational truths to start out with. Two foundational truths. Number one, our words can bring death. Proverbs 8, 21, death is in the power of 
the tongue. What you say is a big deal to God. It's a big deal to your soul. It's a big deal for the souls of those around you. Do do you realize the kind of power you carry around with you in your mouth every day? Words can lead someone to sin that will destroy their lives. They can destroy your witness in a moment. I mean, you can spend years building credibility and trustworthiness with a group of people, and in a moment, you can destroy it all, crumbling it beyond repair. Your words can mentally, emotionally, and spiritually destroy someone. Your words, or even your silence, can escort someone to an eternal hell. Your words can kill a church from the inside out with divisiveness, grumbling, and gossip. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Chapter 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. Your words, according to Proverbs, are very much like the thrust of a sword. If you thrust a sword into someone, you cannot take it back. The damage is done. When you try to pull the sword out that you have already thrust, you only expose the wound. And even after the healing is over, the scar remains. Once the sword is thrust, the damage has been done. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Your words, they are the difference maker between disunity and unity. They're the difference between peace in the home or the misery of ongoing fights. They're the difference between friendship and distrust. Your words are the difference between the glory of Christ being seen or the far lesser glory of yourself being flaunted. They're the difference between the flourishing kingdom of God and the perishing kingdom of man. Our words can bring death. Alternatively, truth number two, foundational truth for the sermon, our words can bring life. Our words can bring life. Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So just listen to the sampling of what words can do according to Proverbs. Chapter 10, verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Chapter 10, 21, the lips of the righteous feed many. Chapter 10.31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. Chapter 12.19, truthful lips endure forever. Chapter 15.2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. Chapter 15.7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge. Listen to how the God of the universe made you and intended for you to use your words to create life. I mean, right, you're, you're made in the image of God. You reflect God. God said, let there be light. And light 
shone from his mouth, and things that were not became beautiful and in being. And he made you to reflect that reality through your speech. Just listen to the summary of what can be done. Words can be a fountain of life. They can feed many. That is, they feed what the soul truly hungers for. They can bring forth wisdom, commend knowledge, spread knowledge. They, They speak truthfully, and thus, according to these Proverbs, they endure forever. The power our words have is quite remarkable. In fact, it's the most powerful tool that you have for the accomplishing of the mission of God or the disrupting of the mission of God. It's the most powerful tool that you have to make disciples, raise children, plant churches, spread His glory to the ends of the earth. With words, we worship, we comfort and encourage, we teach and disciple, we give warning. With words, we express ourselves and our thoughts and our affections for others. With words, we make friends and we build relationships. With words, we explain the saving message of Jesus. I mean, Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Without words spoken about forgiveness, grace, and the mercy of God, humanity goes to hell forever. You realize that? The misuse of words or the refusal to use words is a difference between eternity and heaven with a God who loves them or hell as they reject that God. We've been commissioned to distribute life-giving truth. That is our ministry as Christians. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But now I want to look at that second half of the Proverbs. Proverbs are, are, are structured in this way. They give you one sort of sentence, and then they give you another sentence that builds upon it or clarifies it or is the opposite of it, right? These, these sort of po- poetic couplets. So I want to look at the second half of eighteen twenty one. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, now, what does it mean, those who love it, that is the tongue, those who love the mouth will eat its fruits? Well, I think the point is this. Those who care for their tongue, that is, those who care for how they speak, will reap the benefits of that speech. Those who don't take care, those who don't, who, who don't love their speech, give careful attention to their speech, will suffer the consequences of that speech. So the question I want to ask for the remainder of our time together is this. How do we, as St. Rose Community Church members, how do we, as Christians, how do we love our speech properly? How do we take care of our speech? It's it's more than just like not dropping curse words, right? (laughs) I mean, this, is, this is pushes beyond that reality. How do we reap the fruit of life through our words rather than the fruit of death? So for the remainder of the sermon, what I want to do is I want to, what I, we're going to look at our tips from the Proverbs for speaking in ways that bring life. And now I must confess, I do not preach these tips from Proverbs as someone who's mastered them. As I preach to you this morning, 
I very much preach to myself. As I preach to you this morning, some of you in the room will recognize ways in which I have failed at applying this sermon in conversations I've had with you. You'll remember them. That's why James says, if anyone is perfect in his words, he's a perfect man. So I do not preach this in a way to say, look at me, I have mastered this. No, we'll look at the one who mastered this, the only one who mastered this at the end of the sermon. I'm not it. Little spoiler alert. So I want to look at these tips as very much a sinner in these areas in need of God's great mercy, but by His grace and through His powerful energy that He works within me, I hope to be living according it more and more every day. So the first tip that I want to particularly look at is one that I particularly fail at. And it's not actually about what you speak. It's actually about speaking less. So tip number one, wise words are restrained. Wise words are restrained. So let's, let's let Proverbs speak to us. Chapter 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little worth. Chapter 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Chapter 17, verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. So if you're an idiot, just don't talk, (laughs) and people might think you're smart, right? That's what the proverb is saying. I mean, the best way for you to care about your speech is to speak less. When in doubt, don't say it. Learn that you do not have to give your opinion on everyone and everything. Learn that you don't have to be the one who answers every question that's asked. When you speak in small group or community group, do you speak just to be heard or do you speak to build others up? Do you leave room for other people in the room to speak? Learn to recognize when you are dominating a conversation and not allowing your brothers and sisters to speak. Learn to listen a lot and to understand thoroughly before you respond with words. If your default is to speak a lot rather than to listen a lot, you will undoubtedly fall into foolish talk. We are to guard our lips and restrain our words because we know our hearts are sinful and we will more naturally say the wrong thing than the right thing. Our first thought is not normally our best thought. So we should not say the first thought, but rather let a couple thoughts pass through before you decide which one to say. Oftentimes, we will speak quickly and emotionally and perhaps even say things that we didn't really mean or think through because of our unrestraint and like a sword thrust into someone. No matter how bad we want to take it back out, All we do is expose the damage that's already been done. 
Wise words are less words. Wise words are less words. They are restrained. But they aren't just restrained. When they're spoken, which we do have to speak, (laughs) they're also timely. Tip number two, wise words are timely. Now, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23 makes this most clear. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23 says this, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. There's a way to say the right thing at the wrong time, and it be the wrong thing. There's a way to say the right thing at the wrong time, and it be the wrong thing. The challenge of speaking wisely is not just to discern what to say, but it's to discern the right timing for the right thing to say. Aptness is about appropriateness. It's about situational awareness and even understanding of the person you're communicating to. It's about saying true things, but saying them in ways and in moments where the individual can receive them. This tip is applicable in all spheres of life. This tip is applicable in our evangelism. I mean, half the battle is knowing what to say in evangelism. The other half of the battle is understanding the right time to say it so that the person's in the best place to receive it. Is this person giving me an open door to take the conversation deeper? Do I have this person's trust enough to say kind of the hard thing? Are they in a moment where they can truly listen? Listen, missionaries in persecuted countries cannot stand on the street corner and preach the gospel with a megaphone. Their tenure will be very short. They could, but they die rather quickly. What they must do then is speak the truth of the gospel in timely, careful, wise ways so as not to be beheaded on day one. The admonition is applicable to missionaries. It's also applicable to marriages. I mean, sometimes you need to have a difficult conversation with your spouse spouse about a deep disagreement or strife, but timing and approach is important, right? Don't lash out at your wife over this very deep burden you have when she's mad at you for being late, (laughs) right? It's probably not the moment (laughs) to say, oh yeah, I have all of these things I want to tell you that you're going to take really well right now and repent and we're going to be happy tonight. No, that's not how it works. This is applicable for marriages. This is applicable for disciple making. Sometimes you need to address someone's sin in their life very heavily emphasizing the wickedness of it and the danger of it. Sometimes somebody is just not seeing how serious it is and you need to apply that truth. Sometimes... You need to address that sin, emphasizing more so the grace of God that pours over it because they're not seeing the grace of God. But how do you know? How do you know which is the right thing to say? Both things are true. That sin's wicked and it's destroying you from the inside out. God loves you and shows grace. How do you, where do you start? Slowness to speak, I think, helps here. Careful pondering before you speak helps here. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28 says this. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Do you see the difference between the righteous and the wicked here? The the righteous is sort of calculated, 
premeditated. I'm going to say this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do this. The wicked just pours it all out. Just, just going to say everything there is to say. Prayerful reliance on the Spirit helps us here, right? The Holy Spirit of God was given to you, Christian, to help you navigate through the sticky situations and messy relationships. How do we, how do we do this? Well, we humble ourselves by prayerfully listening to the Lord's leading as we try to distribute life-giving truth. truth. A wise word spoken in the right moment is a miracle of God's Spirit, and it is a joy to a man who receives it, right? So normally, it's unrestrained words spoken in the wrong moment to the wrong person that does the most damage in Christian community. Tip number three Wise words don't need to be whispered. Wise words don't need to be whispered. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's let the Proverbs speak to us first, and let me give some commentary on it. Proverbs 16, verse 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Chapter 18, verse 7 and 8. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Chapter 26, verse 20 says this. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. Where there is no whisperer, Quarreling ceases. One way to test the foolishness of your speech and whether you're bringing about death or life is to ask whether you could comfortably say what you're saying to the people you're talking about. I'll say that again. One, ta- one way to assess whether your speech is foolish or wise is to ask whether you could comfortably say exactly what you're saying to the people or the situation that you're talking about. Wise words don't have to be whispered. They don't have to be hidden. They are direct. When you have a grievance with someone, or perhaps there's a potential misunderstanding of some sort, you go to the source You get your feelings and thought out in the open so that any kind of miscommunication may be cleared up more quickly so that the fire does not spread. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 11 says this, the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. In other words, the wicked harbors violence, bitterness, hatred towards someone else, toward a situation. They conceal it from that person, though they spread it to all the other people. Wisdom brings it to light. Foolishness goes to other people who will whisper about it with you. The words of a whisperer, it says in Proverbs, are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts. Oh, how good it feels to play the victim with others who already agree with you. How good it feels to tear down someone else or something else while validating yourself and your actions and your feelings. It's vindicating to whisper with someone else. It's self-justifying to whisper with someone else. While you point to other people's sins, your sins can't be dealt with. 
In fact, you can make your sin their fault. <laughs> They're the bigger sinner. But, but you have to do that in secret because if you were to address the issue in the open, the issue might get resolved. And if the issue is not as big of an issue as you'd like to think, well, then what would you do? Would you then be responsible for your own soul, your own decisions, your own disobedience, your own lack of faithfulness to the mission of God? Without being able to whisper about it with others in secret, you'd be left with nothing and no one to blame but yourself for your sinful decisions. The nasty and divisive sins of harbored violence and that momentary satisfaction of gossip and sharing in the bitterness under the cover of gossiping whisper, they've been destroying churches for thousands of years. For thousands of years. That's why Paul warns the church in Crete very clearly about words disrupting the community of faith. In Titus chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Be careful. This kind of sin, which I am guilty of, it sucks you in. It justifies itself along the way, and it spreads death wherever it goes. If you find yourself riddled with grievances against someone else or something, and you only talk about it to others to get others riled up with you rather than being open and direct, repent before a holy God because he hates these things. Proverbs 6, verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Tip number three was this. Wise words don't need to be whispered. But at the same time, wise words are never, they never need to be yelled, <laughs> Right? Wise words never need to be screamed. Tip number four is this. Wise words are direct but gentle. Wise words are direct but gentle. Look at chapter 16, verse 21. Chapter 16, verse 21. The wise of heart is called discerning. Sweetness, sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of a wise man makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. There's a sense in which Christians, all of us, we are in fact called to Disagree with people. Do you agree with that? That was a trick, right? You have to or you're going to disagree. We're all called to disagree with people. 
We're called to convince people, to change their positions. I mean, we, Christian, we are called to disagree using logic and reason and wisdom and persuasive speech to try to get someone to stop going down the path of destruction, are we not? I mean, this is, this is what the Christian mission is. We speak and we say, you're going the wrong way, right? <laughs> Please come to the right way where you can experience joy and life eternally. We convictionally believe that God's way is a better way and any other way leads to death. That means we disagree with a dying world. And if we truly love someone, our goal is to persuade them to live, <laughs> to live life eternal with us. There really is a God who's really spoken. And if you live your life as non-confrontation as possible, if you never disagree with anyone, you will never make a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. What is making a disciple? Except every week, week after week, coming and trying to convince them not to do the thing they naturally want to do (laughs) and to pursue the Lord. You will live a life of disobedience to the Great Commission if non-confrontation is your chief, chief goal. You're called to speak true things directly and persuasively, but not by raising your voice, not by nagging, begging, or belittling, not with anger, arrogance, or rashness. You persuade with speech that is wrapped in the gentleness of Jesus himself. Look at uh, chapter 12, verse 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Chapter 15, 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Chapter 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. We've got a problem in our culture. It's a deep problem for Christians which says that if you disagree with someone, you hate them. It's a big problem because for us to love the world, we have to disagree with them. (laughs) Like to actually love them, we have to speak things that they don't believe. So gentleness does not equal passiveness and tolerance of all things. Those are not the same thing. Gentleness is speaking the true thing directly, but there's a, a mode and a method and a means to saying what you're saying. Jesus was perfectly gentle. In my quiet time this morning, though, he addressed a brood of vipers. (laughs) Perfectly gentle, but did not shy away from saying true things. You can speak the truth, but in gentle ways. There should be a calmness to the way in which we speak to others who disagree with us. And this calmness, this love, this compassion, this non-controlling, non-offensive, not-in-your-face way of speaking, it comes from this trust in God that we have. This trust that He's sovereign over situations. We don't have to frantically convince anyone to do anything or believe anything. We're not in control. And, And knowing that we're not in control frees us to just have conversations from a place of love. We are freed to be gentle because of a humble contentment with our identity in Christ. Listen, if someone slanders us, if someone rejects us, angrily addresses us, we don't have to defend ourselves. We already have a defender. We don't have to take it 
personal. We don't have to get revenge. We don't have to win the argument or have the last word because we have this faith deep within that God will have the last word. We rest in knowing that we're loved by God of the universe. Not only that, but we understand, as of, of, of all people, everyone in the room, we understand the sinfulness of the human heart, right? So if one, someone speaks out and lashes out at us using sinful words, we can actually take that better than anyone in the world and not be offended. We of all people should understand when someone acts according to their sin nature within because we have that too. <laughs> Because we have that same sin nature. They need grace, just like I need grace. And that empowers me to be a gentle person. They need patience and forgiveness, just like I need patience and forgiveness. They misspeak, just like I misspeak. And it's an astonishing thing when someone holds another person to a standard that they themselves could never measure up to. It's an astonishing thing. In fact, Jesus tells the parable of the man who's been forgiven great debts before his master. And then he turns around and he goes and he throws somebody in jail for not giving him his due payment. And the master is flabbergasted. You've been forgiven so much and now you're going to hold this person accountable for not being able to pay you. I remember sitting down with a church member years ago who was so angry. Who's a, a young person, not, hadn't been in our church in years. He was a young person. They, they were so angry that they'd not been invited to lunch by another church member in several weeks. And I just asked the individual question, have you ever invited another church member to lunch in our church? And they said, no, well, no, no, I haven't. And I said, why shouldn't everyone else be angry with you? Why, why is it that the burden is, is on everyone else, but not, not on you? Do you see our tendency? And some of, one of the reasons that we're not gentle with others is because we hold them to standards that we ourselves can't measure up to. We of all people should be patient Gentle with the failings of others because we need that. Wisdom in hard conversations, they must be seen through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ because God has been gentle, compassionate, kind, and patient with sinners who don't deserve it. So use wise words when you speak because God has spoken to you graciously. Wise words like this, you know, we, we look at all these things that we've just talked about, and the last two tips are more about how to do this. There's a temptation to talk about these problems with our speech and our words and say, okay, I'm just going to do better at this. I'm just going to focus on my words. I'm going to think really hard about what I'm going to say. I'm just going to really focus on getting my words right. And if you were to do that this morning, that's great. I want you to do that, but but there's a step before you get there. There's something you need to realize about your words, and this is tip five from the Proverbs Wise words flow from the heart. Notice the emphasis of the source of words in the proverb we read in chapter 16. Chapter 16, 11. The wise of heart is called discerning. Again, chapter 16, 23. The heart of the wise makes his speech 
judicious. Jesus emphasized similar things, very similar things in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, this is a scary verse, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified and by your words you will be condemned. You see, if you have a speaking problem, then it's never just a speaking problem, right? If you're quick to speak, if you're quick to speak words that cut or belittle, if you're quick to speak maybe the right thing or at the wrong time, if you never speak at all, there, 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 there are deeper issues. Perhaps you speak a lot because you're insecure and need to prove yourself with words. Perhaps you're arrogant or you're hasty with words and they show a deeper belief that you think you're smarter or better or more important. Perhaps you never speak the truth you should because deep down there, there is a stronger desire to please man rather than God. Perhaps your words are angry and rash because you don't appreciate grace. Perhaps you never actually use your words to share the gospel because deep down there's a doubt that doesn't love the Lord. There's always a deeper heart issue that is the source of what does or does not come out of your mouth. So to address a speech problem is to address a heart problem, and you don't have the power to address a heart problem. Heart problems can only truly be addressed by the one who never spoke a sinful word. And this is our last tip, our last point for this morning. Wise words reflect Christ. Wise words reflect Christ. Proverbs 18, 21, where we started, says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And with no words is that truer than the words of Jesus Christ. The power of life was on his tongue. He said things like John 5, 24, truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes, him who sent me has eternal life. Jesus' disciples recognized it, that when Jesus spoke it was different. John 6, 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. His words were perfectly true, perfectly wise, and they gave life. To hear and believe Jesus is to receive eternal life. But it's not just the wise words spoken that are amazing in the life of Jesus. To me, as studying for this sermon, one of the most amazing things in Jesus' life was not just his words, but it was when he chose to remain silent. It's Jesus' restraint that is uniquely amazing. The sinless Savior went to trial. Though innocent, he was treated as if he was guilty, beaten, slandered, crucified, and along the way, he doesn't raise his voice. He makes you gentle, direct statements regarding his identity. And though he could have destroyed every single person in the room with one word, he remained silent. He willingly took death upon himself and allowed the wickedness of men 
and all their evil words to overwhelm him and to kill him. How hard is it for you to keep quiet when you feel like you've been wronged? How hard is it? You who are sinful and have mixture of your own brokenness and there's your own reasons why you're in the situation, Jesus did no wrong. And yet he was ultimately wronged in the worst kind of way. Mark 14, 60. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and he made no answer. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You've heard his blasphemy. What's your decision? And they all condemned him deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his faith and strike him and saying to him, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. Mark 15, 2, Pilate asked him a question. Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You've said so. The chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? And see, see how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Jesus didn't speak a word when with a word he could have crushed his oppressors in a moment, but he didn't speak a word so that he could truly say these words, It is finished. I have died for all of these wretches who from their mouths they spew only hatred so that they could be made new and given new hearts and then be used on my mission to speak life to the ends of the earth. When we measure our words, when we seek to speak wisely, what we're doing is we're seeking to model the wisdom of Jesus by which we were saved. So I'm gonna close with this prayer from the Apostle Paul. He's been speaking words of life, speaking those words of life have gotten him imprisoned. And this is what he prays for himself and he prays for us. And I'm just gonna end our time with this prayer. Paul says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray to that end and respond to the word. Father, your words are wonderful. And we pray that you would empower us that our words might be your words, God. Help us to respond to the word now with repentance and rejoicing that the word of life came to die for us so that we might have life and give the words of life to a dying world, we pray. Empower us for such a task in Jesus' name, amen. We stand as we sing, your words are wonderful.